0: This morning we begin a new series uh, drawn from the book of Titus. It's a little book, and uh, only three chapters, but we're going to be rolling along through this book till the last week of November. Isn't that something? That means we're going to slow down here, you know, and see what Paul's got to say as the Holy Spirit led him to write this letter. Our series is entitled "Preparing for the Future." And there's a lot of that going on right now. And uh, so such a title requires that one have a knowledge of what the future holds because otherwise it'd be difficult to prepare for it. Unless, of course, we move by faith, which we try to do as well. But I'm not a fortune teller, but there are some things that I can predict that are going to happen in the future. And we need to look at those. We also need to take a look at the past Because things are changing all over the place rapidly, as you well know, if you're paying attention to current events. Did you know between 1944 and 2011, there was one cultural statistic that you could count on? Ninety percent of all Americans believed in God. Year after year, decade after decade, from the time of World War II up to the time that President Obama announced that they had caught and uh, done away with Osama bin Laden. You remember him? It's kind of a uh, a sore word for us today especially. But all through those years, more than 90% of Americans consistently believed in God. Now often this percentage was as high as 98%, but not anymore. Belief in God has plummeted suddenly. And sharply, new polling by the Gallup administration has found that from the high of 98% through much of the last eight decades, belief in God has decreased to 92% in 2011, dropped to 87% in 2013, down to 81% here in 2022. And what this means is one out of every five Americans do not believe in God at all. Gallup also found that belief in God has fallen the most among young adults and people on the left of the political spectrum. Conservatives and married adults have held steady, which helps explain some of the things that divide our nation today. Now, I share this with you because unless things somehow dramatically change in the near future, we're going to continue to see a continual decline in Christian influence on the generations to come. Many of us, especially those of us who are grandparents, are unsettled about this. And we can already see the handwriting on the wall. Some of you know exactly what I mean. Many of us, especially those grandparents, you know, we have reasons to be concerned about the condition of the future. Which is why for the next three months, we're going to study this little letter from the Apostle Paul to a young man named Titus, and the very first message in this series is entitled, How We Can Build on the Strong Foundation of Truth. Building on the Strong Foundation of Truth. As we begin this journey, now more than ever, it is vitally important that we regularly refresh our memories a bit. By the way, you feeling that need today to kind of get refreshed? You know why we're having to refresh our memories? Because we're losing them. Some of us faster than others. I see that smile. I know you're right there with me, brother. (laughs) Well, the primary task of our church has always been to continue to sow the seed of the gospel and, and water it as best we can and rejoice with whatever increase that God chooses to give and to assist in this task on a regular basis. Here's what we have to do. We have to ask ourselves some revealing questions. I mean, how committed? How committed are the people that we may now that are now attending at Maple Grove Drive? Just how committed are are these people? How receptive are our older members to the changes that are going to inevitably come? Do our people really know and understand what they believe? Do we utilize everybody's gifts in the very best way possible that honors God and encourages our church? I mean, how do we go about shepherding our congregation? Elders have been asking these questions seriously now for a while. And we're working on it. But they're certainly not the only issues either. But they should be important to anybody who takes the Lord's church seriously. I hope that you do. And this is why the Apostle Paul had started a church on an island named Crete out in the Mediterranean Sea. This church was beginning to grow. And so he wrote Titus a letter giving instructions on how to prepare for the future. So we're in an ideal situation to learn uh, from a, our own situation as we're, as we're kind of trying to figure out what the future holds as well. That's why this is so important for us to listen carefully. He wrote this letter to Titus, and he said, here's what you need to do. And, and we need to study it, and we're going to find out some basics about what God wants for his church here at Maple Grove, many which we already may have remembered in the past, but we haven't talked about or thought about for a while. But even as we do this, we've got to guard against the temptation to dilute the message of the church to accommodate the whims and desires of our culture. So we've got two, a little tension on both, both sides here. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about the source of truth. The source of truth. Paul begins his letter this way. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind a couple of things. Paul was an apostle. An apostle, by definition, is one who is sent. Uh, It's kind of like an ambassador or a missionary. And specifically in the New Testament, the term apostle was one who carried the message of good news of the gospel. And notice also Paul's emphasis on the source. Jesus is the source and the standard of truth for God's people. And Paul was his apostle. Now, this is true now more than ever before. And even though, obviously, we live in a nation that is sorely divided over nearly every conceivable moral and ethical issue, you name it, pornography, abortion, divorce, one's sexual identity, I mean, you name it, there are challenges upon every front. I mean, how is this possible, you ask, that we've fallen so far so fast? I'll tell you why. It's because God's people have lost our our spiritual equilibrium. The churches are not as powerful and dynamic as they were in the first century. The Holy Spirit doesn't get the permission to rule and roll as He wishes through the body of Christ like He wants. We've come to do church pretty much because of the things that we like. We enjoy it. We appreciate the fellowship, and we like whatever perks and things that come from it. But that was not concern of the Apostle Paul in the first century, and it should not be our concern in this century. Secular philosophers have said, what is right is whatever makes you feel good. But what is that? I mean, is that it? Should we just let people do whatever they feel like doing? Or should we just let so-called intelligent people or so-called popular famous people in our society make all the decisions? problem here with these people is they always contradict each other. Or maybe we should just do majority opinion. Let's just vote. Let's just determine what we want by vote. Whether we vote on uh, Sunday, whether school teachers should be allowed to teach little boys and girls that they don't have to live their life as little boys and girls if they don't want to. There's so many problems with majority rule. You know, I know most of our schools don't teach much about history anymore, but did you know that the majority of people who lived in Germany favored Hitler, Adolf Hitler, prior to World War II? Did you know that the majority of Confederate states were once all in favor of slavery? And profoundly, the Bible says in Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And since there's no longer any recognized standard of morality in our society, our culture is either totally confused about what is right and wrong, or they create their own definitions for it as they go. But being a Christian means that you and I have a definite source of truth that does not change. It's not driven by the winds of culture. It's not driven by emotion. It's not based on majority opinion. Our standard for truth is found in the life and person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus stood on trial for his life, Pilate, the Roman government governor, stared at him and said, Are you the king of the Jews? And in John 18, 34, Jesus answered, You know, you're right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, Jesus said. And verse 38 tells us this. Pilate sarcastically asked him, what is truth? But Jesus had already said, if you're really interested in the truth, you'd listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. So this morning, let's review some of the things that Jesus told us the truth about. You want to do that with me? I want you to listen carefully. I know you don't take notes anymore, so I know you're going to remember all this stuff. That's okay. I have notes too. Number one, Jesus the Christ told us the truth about God. You know, evolutionists suggest that we're just here by accident, that we are the result of millions of years of evolutionary changes. But Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 4, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. Now that's the truth. You and I are here because of a Creator who made us men and women. And Jesus told us the truth about human beings as well. You know, secular humanists tell us that man's getting better and better and better. And eventually, you know what, we're going to solve all of our problems. But Jesus told the truth. Luke 13, 3, he says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus told the truth about sin, John 8, 34. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And Jesus told us the truth about himself as well. You know, an unbeliever may condescendingly admit that Jesus was a good teacher, or he was kind of like Muhammad or Confucius or a Buddha. But Jesus told us the truth about himself. He was God in the flesh. Look at John 8:58. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Wow, though Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus, our Lord was telling the truth. He existed even before the great patriarch Abraham. Jesus said in John 14, 9, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. He said he came to seek and to save those that are lost and give his life a ransom for many. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He told the truth about himself. He told the truth about the Bible, too. Liberals and atheists always ridicule the Bible, insisting it's full of all these myths and contradictions. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In John 17, 17, our Lord Jesus prayed, Oh, sanctify them by the truth. Your word, Father, is truth. Jesus also told the truth about judgment. See, universalists insist that it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you behave because we're all going to be saved anyway eventually. But Jesus said in John five twenty eight, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear His voice, and they're going to come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And Jesus didn't just claim to be the truth. I mean, anyone going around pontificating about God and the Bible and humanity and all these things. Jesus did more, though, than just teach. He proved his claims by coming back from the grave. Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And when Jesus came back to life, it validated his claims. It proved his deity. Acts 17.30, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Listen to this, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. You know, Islam is one of the fastest-growing religions in the world today. Dr. Harry Rimmer tells about a discussion he had with a Muslim teacher, and they were comparing Christianity and Islam and talking back and forth. And he said, we believe that God created the world. And the Muslim said, we believe that God created the world. We believe that God has spoken to us in a book, the Bible. The Muslim said, we believe that God has spoken to us in a book, the Quran." We believe that God has visited this planet in the person of Jesus Christ. The Muslims said, We believe God revealed himself in the prophet Muhammad. We believe Jesus Christ died for his people. And the guy said, We believe Muhammad died for his people. And then Dr. Emmer said, But we believe that Jesus Christ proved his claim to be God by coming back from the grave. And the Muslim leader, quietly said, we have no record of our prophet after his death. Now, this is the distinctive feature of Christianity. I mean, you go to the tomb of so many other great world leaders, you can read the inscription, you know, here he lies, or here lies so-and-so, here he is. But if you go to the tomb of Jesus Christ, it's empty. Remember the words of the angel in Matthew 28, 6? I mean, they should still be ringing in our ears all through the centuries. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said he would. He was telling the truth. He still told the truth. Jesus is the source of truth, but here's what you and I need to grasp is the importance of truth, and the church needs to know what that is. The Apostle Paul emphasized the connection between truth and living a meaningful life. We are to, as Christians, live according to the truth of Scripture, not according to the world's mantra, not according to our personal whims. We have a standard that we are to be following. And it's so important that we grasp this. I need you to think for a minute about the importance of truth. The Apostle Paul wrote again in verse 1 to Titus, he said, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he said several things about how, how knowing the truth would make a difference as he introduces this letter. First is, knowing the truth will give you and me purpose in our life. Young people that are here trying to figure out what their life is going to be like when they graduate from high school and all these other things that are coming down the road in a crazy messed up world. You can't turn to the externals in order to understand what to do with your life. It's got to be an internal relationship you have with Christ. The most frequently asked question of high school students being interviewed for a job today is, what goal have you set for yourself and how do you plan to achieve it? A lot of us older people couldn't even answer that question. But Paul, with this goal in mind, his goal was to be an apostle, a representative of Jesus Christ. And he was going to achieve that goal by being the Lord's servant and doing whatever the Lord wanted him to do, even if it led to his death. You see, once you're fully committed yourself to the truth, now we have a distinct purpose. We know why we're here, or at least we should know. This knowledge of the truth is a big deal because the Bible says it leads to godliness. God's truth enhances your character. Ignorance of the truth leads to decadence and all kinds of of immoral activity. But knowledge of the truth leads to godliness and improved character. It leads to integrity, self-discipline, order. These are the things that really should be uh, encouraged for our young people as they look into the future. Paul speaks of a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, has promised. So the truth provides hope. And purpose for eternity. Stephen Brown once wrote a book entitled, When Your Rope Breaks. And have you ever heard people say, I've I've reached the end of my rope? Have you ever said that, man? When you get the end of your rope, what do you do? Tie a knot and hang on? You know, that sort of thing. But what if you tie a knot and hold on and your rope still breaks? You might feel like your situation is desperate or you may know someone who's going through a tough time. I had a good friend of mine call me just a few days ago lost a, a daughter. Uh, just uh, hard to understand that. We get upset when our finances fail us or our family dissolves. What about your health? Maybe you're addicted to a habit and you don't know whether you're going to break it or if you can ever break it. I mean, this kind of hopelessness paralyzes God's people and it sometimes leads to some really extreme behavior. But the truth of Jesus Christ is he promises the hope of eternal life even when your rope breaks. Donna Vest was 33 years old, vibrant personality. She'd been voted several times employee of the year at the company where she worked at the hospital, actually. But then one day, while in a meeting, she was overcome by a severe headache. She asked to be excused. Within hours, she was completely paralyzed from the neck down, the result of a rare disease involving a blood clot at the base of her brain. Now, though completely inert, alert, she cannot speak and is trapped in a body that will not respond. She can communicate only by moving her eyes. 33 years old. So what do you say when you bend over to speak to someone in that condition? So far, the medical community have been unable to offer her family any kind of hope. But there is a God in heaven who does not lie. He said in John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8:28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now that's our only real hope. Because one day we're all going to be in the condition Maybe not the extremes that I read about. Maybe not at age 33. Maybe at 93 or maybe 23. We don't know. Our rope's going to break. Our body's going to give away. And what do we hold on to then? This is why it's so important for Maple Grove Christian Church to not get mired down in the immediate issues that we're working through and the transitions that are coming when inevitably they do. No, our, our attention needs to be on the future. We need to be wondering how some of these questions that people ask, how we can help them find answers to this. Only His promise, only Jesus' promise is sufficient. And notice in verse four how Paul addresses this. It is amazing how many much stuff you get out of four verses. You know, I mean, I think we should maybe do a, a word for word through the. All we do is just look at the Bible words. It'd be totally amazing to do this. But in verse four, he addresses this letter to a young man named Titus, my true son in our common faith. Now, I want you to listen to these. I've got, I've got very many more to share with you, but I want you to understand. Now, knowing the truth helps us deepen our affections, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Most relationships in this world are superficial because the worldly have put themselves first. Only in Jesus do we begin to learn to put others ahead of ourselves. Our relationships deepen because we're not just acquaintances anymore. This is family, totally different. We become brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters in the same family of God. And knowing the truth deepens our affections for one another. Verse 4 also reminds us that knowing the truth enhances our personalities. You know why? Because knowing the truth gives us grace and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. I mean, generally speaking, now see if you agree with me or not. Generally speaking, the older we get, the crankier and more worrisome we get. All God's people said. Okay, even you youngsters need to speak up and agree with that, because that's what's going to happen to you too. But it, it, you know that, that, that could be unless, unless something happens. It's unless we're committed to Jesus Christ, that He is our Lord. And then the older we get, the more graceful and more peaceful we can become. I read of a missionary in the Kaimishi Mountain uh, to the Mountain Indians of Oklahoma, and one day on a drive through the hills, he came up on a shanty on the side of the road. And there was an elderly Indian squaw sitting on a rocking chair on the front porch. He rolled down the window and called out to her. He said, Ma'am, are you alone? And she grinned, a crinkly grin and not a lot of teeth, and said, No, just me and Jesus, son, just me and Jesus. And though people may get older, though we may be alone with you don't have to be lonely. There can be those full of grace and peace moments. The closer we get to the truth, the closer we're walking to Jesus, the less we're preoccupied with the stuff of this old world anyway. And as our church moves into the future, it's important to have a knowledge of the truth. It gives us a sense of purpose. It improves our character. It solidifies our hopes. It deepens our relationships. And that's exactly what this whole world needs. It needs the church to be the church. Not here, but out there. On the job and in the neighborhoods and in the schools. That's where Christianity needs to be seen and touched and felt. Otherwise, we're not going to be able able to do our job as we've been called to go out into all the world and make disciples for Jesus Christ. It just won't happen. God has entrusted his message to us. We can use different methods. You can do different music, different types of buildings, obviously. You know, it's not a typical church in some ways. All kinds of different programs are out there. But the message of the truth has got to be central, it's never to be altered, it's not ours to change. Mother Teresa said, I am just a little pencil in the hand of God who's writing a love letter to the world, which she continued to do to the day that she died. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of absolutely first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The Apostle John comes along, First John 2.24, See that you what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And Paul told young Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.16, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, then you'll save both yourself and you'll save your hearers. And Maple Grove Christian Church has been blessed with a long history, and a solid foundation. And as we move into the future, a future that's full of changes, it is imperative, absolutely imperative, that we don't get so distracted with all this other stuff that we forget our foundation. We must hold to the truth. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not ever going to be in vain. I'm going to pray for us as we have our time of communion. And I pray that as we go through this series that you will pray for Nick and I Because we're going to be dealing with powerful truths like this all the way to the first day of December. Out of three chapters. Can you imagine what we should... Can you imagine three chapters? Pray for us as we let the Lord lead. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Oh, how we take Him for granted. Oh, how we fail to honor Him on a moment by moment, second by second recognition that He is our Lord and our life. And as we come to this time, we come every week here, we come to this spot where we we remember that Jesus came to die. He knew from the very moment He was breathing that one day He would breathe His last on this earth. And so, Father, may we not miss the significance of this grape juice and of this wafer. May we not fail ever to minimize the meaning behind the body and the blood. And as we come together this morning as a congregation, I pray, Father, that you will will free our minds from any concerns or preoccupations or problems. And over the next few moments, we will just quietly worship you in spirit and in truth as you so much want us to do. It is in Jesus' name I pray.